Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We give you praise and glory. Open our eyes and ears to the wonderful things of your word. Teach us, Father. Help us to see these things that they change uh, our walk, that they make changes in us for the good, that we uh, will be prepared to, uh, as we walk as your ambassadors in your kingdom. May only the fruit of uh, the tree of life flow from us. May love and joy and peace reign in our members. We give you praise and glory in Yeshua's name. Amen. Okay, so uh, a couple of things I've got to do here to make this work. Uh, let's see, I've got to turn that off and turn that off. And go to there. So Ralphie does an incredible job on slides. And this is where I have been um, directed to go. We're going to talk a little bit about um, a few things here. So let me move on. So we're going to discuss today about tents, torn beasts, walking humbly, neighbor afflicting neighbor, quarrels and conflicts, lust and murder, pride, personal desire, and costly sin. Some deep stuff. So as I always mention, um, unless noted, all word definitions are from the Theological Workbook of the Old Testament and Thayer for Greek. Hebrew and Greek strong numbers are highlighted beside the TWOT and Thayer definition in green. Okay. Let's do an overview of our Genesis portion, Genesis chapter 31. So Jacob, uh, he's displeased with the envy of Laban and his sons. They depart secretly. Rachel steals her father's household gods. Laban pursues after him and complains of the wrong. Rachel, her plan is to hide the images. Jacob's complaint of Laban and the covenant of Laban and Jacob at Galid. So let's dig in and see what the Father wants us to learn. So there's only a couple of things that um, I'm going to talk about in our um, Torah portion, God led me, the Spirit led me into our New Testament portion mainly today, so, and we'll find out why. So let's look at Genesis 31, because there's a few things here that I thought was interesting to, to bring up. It says, so Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maids, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. My point is, is a couple of weeks ago I pointed out that it seemed to me that back in the day, everyone had their own tent. In other words, the, the, the husband and the wife didn't share the same tent together. And here's, just coincidentally, this comes up a couple of weeks later, this is what we find happening. Uh, Laban's going into, you know, 
uh, Jacob's tent. He's going into Leah's tent. He's going to Rachel's tent. He's going into probably Bilhah and uh, the, the other handmaid's tent. So they all had their own tent, which is very interesting. So something for you to ponder on, you know, why did that happen? Why are the why are, why is are those things taking place like that? Um, I wouldn't even begin to try to speculate. Why I'll let you try to decide that for yourself. And then let's look at the next piece, which is the next scripture, which is Genesis thirty-one thirty-eight. And I I'll read it first, and then we'll talk about it. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes, your ewes, and your female goats have not miscarried nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That which was torn of beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss myself. What does this mean and what do we learn from it? Anybody have any ideas? Loyalty, Loyalty? yeah. Uh, you had your hand, you want to, so we have a hand here. Raise it up again, Barry. My, hello, hello, hello. There we go. My understanding is if, if you had male, the males could be eaten. You, you would not eat the female because you have a male. You keep a couple to breed with. Okay. But then the males could be eaten, and he's, he's saying that he hasn't eaten them to increase the, the count. Um, as, as well as you said, loyalty, it seems, you know, to say that he's, he's done things justly. Right. So here's what I saw out of it. You know how we always see in the Scripture, you know, it talks about how Abraham, uh, says, Abraham kept all of my Torah, kept all of my Torah. And we see other instances throughout Scripture where they were keeping Torah. Where does this come from that he wasn't allowed to give him beasts that were torn of flesh? What's that? In the Torah. In the Torah, it says that you're not allowed to give your brother uh, and you're not allowed to eat an uh, animal that has been torn by another beast. But this is pre-Sinai. Why is he observing that here before the commandments were given to Sinai? And again, we pull these nuggets out to show that they were keeping Torah way before Sinai. Because this is, a, this is a, uh, a Torah command here that is showing that they're being observed, right? Yes. Okay, if I remember correctly. Can you turn them up just a little bit because I can hardly. Yep. Hold on, they're not quite there yet. If I remember correctly, and the scripture states where Abraham knew the statutes, the law, and the judgments. The judgments dealt with the tearing of beasts that if you were responsible for sheep or an animal that belonged to another and it was torn, you were responsible to pay for it. Yeah. And you were not allowed to eat it. Right. Well, and so God's the one that sets the boundaries, and so they're, they're walking by these boundaries. We've got hand here. And, yes. You know, I think that uh, he uh, cared more about uh, kind of protected the other guy to uh, 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 say, uh, that I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it myself. Yep. He was taking away maybe the sadness of this other person that sure. would that. So we see another evidence of brother taking care of brother. Very interesting because in our study today, we're going to get into that. All right. So let's move forward. We're going to jump into our prophet portion, which was Micah. It was Micah 6 and 8, part of 
partial of six and partial of eight. This is from the New English translation of the Septuagint. And it says, Has it been told to you, O man, what is good or what the Lord seeks from you? But to do judgment, or you know, this is like justice, and to love mercy, and to be ready to walk, uh, the, the, your English translation says to walk humbly, they add humbly, to be ready to walk humbly with the Lord your God. So God's telling us in here, in this spot here, what is good? We need to be just in the way that we deal with our brothers and our sisters. We need to love mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We need to be merciful in the dealings with our brother and sister. Give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, let's, let's not be so quick to take up the sword. Let's be ready to be humble and not proud. The opposite of the humble is the proud, okay? The proud person is seeking his own way. He's seeking his own desire. He cares only about himself. But the humble person cares about others before himself. So let's move forward. God has shown humankind what is good, a term that summarizes the Torah's requirements. To act justly, to love mercy from the heart, to protect the weak, and to walk humbly or to walk thoughtfully in the light of the covenant's requirements with your God. Isn't that what we see Laban doing? He's thinking about, no, I'm not going to give you the animals torn to beasts. He's walking humbly in the commandments of Elohim, guarding and protecting his brother. Yes. Can you go back to the last slide, just the one before? Okay, that one says, he has told you, and what does the Lord seek from you? Um, the word seek, or this one says require, is derash, which means what so does he... What as is, the, 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 the door word that Rafi touched on. Yeah, so it means that he, what is he inquiring about in you and your character? What is he searching for? Uh, examining that you act justly and love mercy. That's right. So he's looking for those characteristics in you yes. and how you deal with others. Amen. Okay, let's move forward. We're going to stay in Micah a little bit here. Micah 7.2 says, Because the devout has perished from the land. The person who is, who is faithful to the covenant has perished from the land. And there is none among the people who is upright. All give a judgment for blood. They afflict each his neighbor with affliction. They prepare their hands for evil. The vineyard is the house of Israel, and the fruit is godly men. The allegory and its interpretation are linked by none and not one, both rendering the same Hebrew word. Micah now specifies the crimes of all men, the decadent judges who oppress their innocent victims, he likens them to hunters who lie in wait, uses underhand practices, and hunt with a net, are effectively deadly. So this is what we're, we get from this. So it's, I'm setting the table for what we're going to go into in our New Testament portion. Micah 7.5 says, Put no trust in friends, and do not, do not hope in leaders. 
Now, I'm going to preface this. We'll talk about this in a minute. He's, he's, the reason he's saying this is because they're about to, Assyria is about to take the northern kingdom into captivity, and all these people are walking un, ungodly, as the previous text said. There's no one upright. Well, if there's no one upright, then I shouldn't be trusting in anyone. If the leaders are all gone astray, why should I put my faith in even the leaders? Do not hope in leaders. Guard yourself against your bedmate so as to communicate anything to her. For a son dishonors a father, a daughter shall rise up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, the enemies of a man or the men of, in his house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord and I will wait for my God, my Savior. My God will hear me. The Assyrian invasion will throw the nation into panic and confusion. This is why everybody is against everybody here. When panic and confusion come in, Specific illustrations of the confusion, the social anarchy in the besieged city are now given. The strongest ties of social solidarity, neighbor and friend, loving wife in your embrace, will break apart under the strain of the siege. It will break apart. This is what happens in communities. When there is conflict in communities, when people are against one another, uh, uh, it's not nearly as extreme as what happened in this scenario, but it breaks things apart. It causes people to become weak. Love goes astray because everybody now results to the flesh. A person must not confide in his most intimate companion how he hopes to cope with the crisis. Otherwise, the companion will abuse it for his own survival. This is what happens when a, a, a household or a couple or a fellowship or a nation, you, you can take it in whatever extreme or you know, small microcosm you want. This is what happens when this adversity comes upon people. This is why God wants us to be merciful. He doesn't want these things to take place. He wants us to judge righteously. He wants us to be merciful because he's that way with you. Let's move to the next slide. And here's where we begin in James. James 4 is our New Testament portion. And James says an amazing thing here. And this is really for communities because James was facing uh, an interesting issue uh, in the community that he was addressing. He says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Now, the Greek word here for members isn't the member, uh, my, my arm. It's the members of the community, the members of the body. The personal desires of the, of the community, meaning, you know, <laughs> my personal understanding of that scripture is, is, is right on. And that brother is wrong, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go attack him. I'm going to. I'm going to go set him straight. I don't care what kind of harm I'm going to do to him. I'm going to go set him straight. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, God could have said all along, all these millennia, how off track you and I were in our walk and our faith, but He was merciful. He was gracious. He could have wiped you out at any minute because you weren't. You weren't walking righteous. You weren't in, in a right relationship with him, but he didn't. Titus 3.9 says, Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the Torah, for they are unprofitable and worthless. I've watched people fight amongst themselves over things, and you know what happens? It, they just get further apart. No one wins the other. It doesn't happen. 
it only brings about further separation. Always. 2 Corinthians 7.5 says, For even when we come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without fears within. People that have no fear, just constant conflict, one after another. 2 Timothy 2.23 says, But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. You know what's interesting? Righteousness only prospers in peace. When there is no peace, righteousness has gone south. <laughs> or maybe <laughs> west, whatever. <laughs> it's gone. Yes, Joe. Uh, looking at uh, Tyus 3 9, uh, the foolishness. Uh, controversies and genealogies, the strife, the dispute about the law, uh, they are unprofitable and worthless because they, instead of bringing people together, it's dividing people. Absolutely. And the Bible tells us to love one another. So if you have all these contradictory statements like I'm better than you are or whatever, then you're not really uh, unifying the group or the church are uh, the peoples and the relationships. Amen. Let's move on. This is, this is stuff that uh, every now and then we get an opportunity to talk about and that the text made itself available for us to talk about. It's the God, God of heaven and earth that, that makes it available because it's in our portion. And so we want to touch on it because it's important that we stay a peaceful community. We stay peaceful husbands and wives. We stay, stay, have peaceful children amongst themselves, peaceful households. There were struggles in the Christian community James was writing to. Each person wanted their own way and their own advantage. I'm going to repeat it again. They wanted their own way and their own advantage. James makes it very clear that these struggles are not from God and calls on those involved to repent and be forgiven. Notice the, a big key to the beginning is to repent. When, we, when we're guilty of these things, we've got to say, I'm sorry. We've got to repent and ask for forgiveness. James paints a picture of the church as he saw it. Fights and quarrels, battle, kill and covet. The kill probably refers to killing with the words, Lashon Hara, not literally killing with a sword because we've learned in the Hebraic mindset that when I'm talking evil about my brother, I've literally killed him with my words. I've destroyed and killed his character. But the whole picture is familiar to anyone who knows the modern assembly. All of these fights and battles were certainly justified by those involved, perhaps as striving for the truth, but James writes of them just as they are in God's eyes. He traces the origin of these conflicts, not to the reader's love of God, but to your desires, the evil impulse. In other words, it's really good to my flesh. <laughs> I like to feel like I'm right. I like to make someone lower and me uh, elevated to high esteem. Look, everybody, look. I'm right. I divided the word right, and I am right in what I've said, and I have now squashed this person. Where do I stand with God with that kind of an attitude? What kind of judgment is laying in wait for me for my uh, treatment of my brother? Is that love? No. Paul. 
Yeah, if you go to Leviticus 19, um, and starts off, you shall do no injustice in judgment. And it goes on, you shall not go about as a slanderer among your people and are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am Yahuwah. Well, the word slanderer there, and I think you mentioned that word, is rakil. And rakil is scandal mongerer, traveling about, carrying tales, tale-bearing, <laughs> slandering. But, so it's very specific. Yes. I think James refers to this that you're getting ready to talk about. It's pointing out the people. Acts 7.26 says, On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together. So he walks in on this big fight and dispute, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? Guys, this is a, this is a fellowship of God. Why are you doing this? 2 Timothy 2.24 says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. If I see quarrelsome people, I know right away, well, that can't be a bondservant. Cannot be. That's why God tells us we know them by their fruit. Fruit is evident. But be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. Oh, that's a tough one for all of us, isn't it? I've been wronged. Boy, I'm ready to draw my pistol or my sword right away. Watch out. You've now crossed, the, you've crossed over the barrier now, boy. You know, I know we're in a messianic community, but boy, I'm ready to go to town now. You've, you've blown it. Patient when wronged. Can we hold our tongue when we feel we've been wronged? Can we uh, uh, keep, I mean, I picture Yeshua standing there as they're casting all of these false accusations on him. They're doing all this, they're beating him, they're doing all these things. He doesn't say a word. James 3, 5 says, oh, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small little fire. Wow. The Greek word for lust in, in James 4 conveys commonly a higher meaning than the English and is rendered elsewhere by longing after. In other words, earnestly desiring or greatly desiring. I'm greatly desiring my own agenda. I've got an agenda. I've got an ax to grind. Ooh, and I can't wait to do it. I want what I want now. The spirit which he implanted yearns tenderly over us. The, world, the words that remain to envy admit of being taken as with an Ad adverbial force in a manner tending to envy enviously the fact that envy is elsewhere in the New Testament and elsewhere condemned as simply evil makes its use here somewhat startling but the thought implied is that the strongest human affection shows itself in a jealousy which is scarcely distinguishable from envy the source of conflict is our desire to do something our way instead of God's way that's the source of conflict. I want it my way and not his way. Someone has an agenda and wants it to get it done. Uh, they want everyone to side with them on their side. Hey, everybody, listen. Uh, I'm going to call I'm gonna call 15 people. I'm gonna, listen, you need to get with me. I'm, listen, here's my, here's my... I want everybody with me here so whenever I get ready to, to, to throw the grenade under the door, everyone's with me on my side. 
Look, there's the losing force. Where are the victors? Yes. I think there's one thing being missed, and that is the, the idea that there are some people who are convinced. Of course. Convinced that they are correct. Not absolutely. looking to offend others or upset others, but they're convinced they are absolutely correct. Yep. But rather than going to the Word and presenting the Word to the person who they believe is wrong and presenting word the, the Word as the answer, they themselves put themselves in the higher place to convince the person that they're wrong. Rather than taking the Word to convince, they themselves produce words to convince. Yeah. You see, I, I trust the leadership that's here. I have faith. I have trust. I know that the men here are searching the Scriptures, so I trust. So if I feel something about something in the Scripture, rather than going off and going, hey, I've got this great idea, and here we're going to go with it, I take it to them and I say, guys, here's something that came to my mind. I want you to kick it around and tell me what you think. If they come to me and say, huh, no, we don't get it, we don't see it, that gets pushed down. I don't go, well, wait a minute, I'm right here. That's not the right attitude. This is not how you walk in a fellowship. I mean, does one spouse come into the other spouse and say, look, this, we're going to Missouri today and pack up the bags, I don't care what you think. Or do they come together and say, hey, this is what I think, let's, let's come together and talk about it. Right? Otherwise, if you do it the first way, there's going to be a lot of conflict in the house, isn't there? There'll be a lot of quarreling. There'll be a lot of division. Yes. The lack of humbleness. Yes. It goes all the way back to heaven when Satan envied what God had. Yes. And it unfortunately has passed down to us today. But it's the last of being humble or thinking the other person better than myself. Yep. You know. Yep. That's exactly right. Okay, so let's move on to Psalms. Psalm 15:1 says, Oh Lord, now listen, catch this. Who can abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Only he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart, and does not slander with his tongue. Now, wait a minute. They're saying the person that's slandering with his tongue does not abide in the tent of the Almighty, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest. He does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Wanda. Uh, that word slander there makes me think of the word judging. Yes. You know, like when you judge one another, one of the scriptures that Paul read this morning at home was James 4.11 it says, if you judge your brother and speak, you're speaking evil of the law. Yep. You're, you're We're going to go there. You're judging the Torah. Yep. Yikes. <laughs> Tough stuff. Let's move on. We've got more goodies. We're going to move right through James all the way down to what she said. So we've got a few scriptures to go. James 4.2 says, you lust 
and you do not have. You commit murder. In other words, Lashon and Ra, you're going around, you're, you're killing with your tongue. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You're envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Lashon hurrah is murder with the tongue. 1 John 2.16 says, For all this is in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. In general, lust, epithemia, refers to a strong craving or passion desire. It doesn't just mean uh, for what we think it does. It means for a passionate craving or desire for what we want in our own way. Boy, I've got an agenda. I, hey, I've got an ax to grind, and I'm going to see it happen. That's what that means. So let's keep moving through James. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So you may spend it on your own desires. Our motives are centered on personal desire for our own will. Not his will, but our own will. That's why there's the problem. James 4.4 4 says, You adulteresses, you do not know that, do, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? If I'm do, in other words, friendship with the world, if I'm doing what the world is doing, how can I have friendship with God? I'm hostile with him. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. Some people interpret that and say, well, you know, that just means I, I'm not friendly with them. I'm, I'm separated from them. But when you act like them, you are friendly with them because you're taking on their persona. You're taking on the things that they do. James 4 or 5 says this, and he's quoting, or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. A spirit of what? We're going to talk about it, man. The, 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 the right spirit. There's the fruit of the spirit. And, and this stuff of strife and quarreling isn't fruit of the spirit. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, he says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is a key. Humility. Humble. Almost without question, the person that's leading the charge in dividing communities is a prideful person. They're seeking their own agenda. They're seeking their own ways. They want to they make themselves look high and mighty and show how lowly and how squashed and wrong the other group or the other person is. James 4 says this, Submit therefore to God. All I've got to do, if, if the person, that, the, the people that have these issues, if they just submit to God, surrender to him. In other words, submit means, uh, it's not my will I'm seeking anymore. I want your will in my life. So I'm going to drop my agenda, and I'm going to, Father, whatever your will is. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. 
Korban offering. Draw near, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You people that, that, that have one foot on one side of the fence and one foot on the other side of the fence. You're swaying between two opinions, the Torah, the righteousness of God, and the ways of the world. That's double-minded. And really, when you look at our, our uh, Malachi portion, it says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and you have not kept them. In, in James, he's saying, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Look what he says here. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how would we return? It starts with repentance. It starts with repentance and making right the wrongs that you have done. If you've hurt somebody, you've got to now go and make, uh, bring about um, restitution. You've got to restore the relationship. That's what God wants. He wants restoration. He wants, he desires these things in, in people. Yes. I think it's a, a fine line too, though, because we're supposed to be humble. But then in um, 2 Thessalonians um, 2, it says 15, so then, brethren, stand firm and hold fast the ordinances that you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. And if you know that that's not happening, then it also says in Thess 2 Thessalonians 3, um, 6, it says, if they're not walking in the ordinances, now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who is, who is walking irresponsibly and not according to the ordinances that he has received from us. Mm -hmm. What happened, just this is from my own perspective, and that's correct. But what I've seen 99% of the time on people that take that path and road, they're doing it based on their own justification. And two, they didn't walk out the scriptures the way it's supposed to be. What did God ask us to do? If, if there's someone in the fellowship that I feel has either offended me or done me wrong or is doing something wrong, there are steps to take. First of all, it takes two witnesses, doesn't it? So if I go and almost, I would say 80% of the time, it's a one witness scenario. Um, is that just? It is not just. God says justice is two witnesses. So right away, we've got a wrong, even though they feel they're right. They're looking at the scripture and go, look, I've got a cause. I've got a right. I can go forward. But no, they forgot about God's justice. They forgot about the way things are to be walked out. Yes. Is that what you were going to say? Okay. Yeah, I was just going to touch on it, how it mentions that you approach them. It's, and it's if they right. don't receive you, then you go to get two or more, and then you go before the fellowship so that judgment can be held in the proper way. God. A lot of times people will try to be the judge themselves and handle it in their own way, and they say, I am justified in this because I am right, so yeah. therefore they take their steps themselves. And they're not handling it according to what the Scriptures say. Well, and people, I want to be sure I'm still, no, I'm not, I lost that. So let me see if I can get that back on for everybody. Hold on, pardon me. I don't know how that uh, happened, but we'll deal with that real quick. Okay. So God, does, do we see God 
um, bring justice to people? Does he bring judgment to people? He does. But why? Because he's done it justly. He hasn't done it without cause. He didn't do it uh, uh, outside of the precepts that he laid down. He does it justly, always, every single time. There's a justice. But if we walk without justice, if we walk without... And here's the other thing. If someone comes to another brother, and let's say they're right. Let's say this person has done wrong, and they come to them in a haughty, arrogant, unloving way, and they completely crush the person and embarrass them, was that done justly? No, it wasn't. And I've seen this. I've watched it over and over. This is what people, it's what swells up in a person when they feel that they're going to come and bring an accusation. It's, it's just what happens. And we've got to guard. We've got to think to ourselves, okay, there is an, accus- there, there is a, uh, an offense. What's the right, loving, godly way to bring about righteousness. That's the key. That's what we're looking for. Yes. Two examples. The Republican and the other prayer, and this one guy says, God, I'm thank you. I'm not like this guy here. You know, this self, uh, he was full of self-pride. But then you go to the 51st Psalm, when David was kind of with his sin, he cried before the Lord. Amen. Okay, let's move forward. I'm on 22 of 34, so we want to move through. So you can, after this one, you're going to want to hold it. Go ahead. So the scripture that comes to mind is do not be conformed. It's Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and That's perfect. That's right. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as Elohim has allotted to each a measure of faith. Yep. There's a right way to do things. A right way. Look what James continues on. He says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and if you do, he will exalt you. James 4 continues, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the Torah and judges the Torah, but but if you judge the Torah, you are not a doer of the Torah, but a judge of it. What does that mean? It means that people have a... um, They oftentimes come in these judgment things without justice. You see, because what is the whole Torah hinged on? What's the whole Torah hinged on? Love, right? So if I come without love, if love is missing here, I'm a clanging symbol, and I'm now becoming a judge of the Torah, and now the Torah will judge me because I did not follow what the Torah teaches me to do. That's what he's meaning here. Having called for repentance, James concludes his section on the tongue and community harmony with another appeal. Believers are not to slander one another. A better translation might be speak evil about or say bad things against because slander 
often implies in English that the things that are said are untrue, but the Greek word does not imply this. He's not saying that the, the implication is not true. The Greek says that it may be very well true, but it's the way that it's being done. The precepts of God are being missed here. Love's not there. They didn't walk out the justice of whether or not they had the right witnesses. And here's another thing. Let's say the person has all of the things right, and he's going around and he's calling everyone in the community and talking to them about it. That's not justice. It's not. You're automatically condemned by being part of it. Automatically. Because that's not justice. It just isn't. Yes. I have this footnote here on that verse 10. It says, if, if you add your own judgments to those already established in the Torah of Yahweh, <laughs> then you have judged Torah as insufficient and are not <laughs> allowing it to be your judge. That's right. We set up our own way. We're, we decided to set up our own justice system, and it isn't the way that God said it's to be done. Going on in 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And I'm going to add here, it's judging unrighteously, leaving out elements of proper justice. That's the key. James isn't saying that just that judgment shouldn't be given where it is due. He's saying it's oftentimes, uh, he's witnessing it and saying it. I've witnessed it in 15 years in this understanding 90% of the time, it's walked out incorrectly. It's, it's so obvious, it's not even funny. And it's because we get so excited, we get so into what we're wanting to do, where we run forward and we forgot something. It's like, I took off running. Oh, gosh, I'm out here in the field and I forgot my sword. I should have grabbed that because that's pretty important here. Yes. Did you have some? Oh, okay, I thought you were sitting there with somebody else. Okay, let's move forward. We're getting to the close, so bear with me. Now, I want to move on to, are not all of us experiencing some kind of conflict in our lives? It may, you may not be, you know, the, the fellowship may be running fantastic. There may not be any conflict in the fellowship, but you may be experiencing conflict in your own lives. It could be in your marriage. It could be with one of your children. It could be at the work. It could be at the job. You could be having conflict with your car. You could be having conflict with your clothes that morning. You could be having conflict with the policeman that stopped you on your way to service. I mean, conflict can be measured in many ways. So all of us are experiencing conflict in some way or another. And so let's talk. see what Jeremiah 50, 24 says. I set a snare for you, and you were also caught, O Babylon. While you yourself were not aware... You have been found and also seized because you have engaged in conflict with the Lord. You know, when James was talking about, I have, I'm judging the Torah now that the Torah is judging me, that's a person in conflict with the Lord. Because they're not doing what God asked them to do. They're not doing what the Almighty has said. We're going to have to hold the mic because I've only got a few minutes. I don't want to be that guy that's in conflict with God because I'm going to be at the wrong end of the conflict. <laughs> I'm not going to win. There ain't going to be no victory 
on Mark's behalf when I'm in conflict with God. Proverbs 13.10 says, Through insolence or pride comes nothing but strife. Pride brings strife. But with wisdom is with those who receive counsel. Remember how I said I'm going to go to the leadership and say, hey guys, tell me what you think of this. I'm wanting counsel before I go off running with my sword drawn. They might tell me, you know, if, if I've got something against somebody, they might say, well, did you do this? Oh my gosh, I forgot that. Thank you for reminding me. Boy, if I would have ran off half-cocked like that and, and done something, I would have been in trouble. Thank you for reminding me because I completely forgot about that step. I know people that are already willing to bring the person before the community. And what does Matthew 18 tell us? You can't bring them before the community unless you go through those other steps before that point, right? Matthew 18 gives us a completely step-by-step -step judicial system to walk out, but yet there are people ready to bring them before the community or kick them out and they haven't even done the other steps. See, that's what I'm talking about. We've got we've, we've to be thinking about what has God instructed us to do in walking out righteousness. How do I treat my neighbor? The root cause of an interpersonal conflict is sin. Now let's talk about what Galatians 5.16 says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of what Mark wants to do. You won't carry out what the old flesh wants to do. I'm going to slay that guy. I'm going to slaughter him. They're going to get it. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh... For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and the things of these of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Boy, I love that self-control. Before I go off running with my sword drawn, I want to, wait a minute, let me control myself here. Hold on a minute. Let's see, let me, let me, let me read the words here. Maybe I'm missing something. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those of you who belong to Messiah Yeshua have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires to bring about your own agenda. Crucify it. It's not about your agenda. It's a family. It's a fellowship. We've got to have one another. We've got to live at peace with one another. Things have got to be worked out. Sin is expensive. How many of you know it's expensive? You can pay me now or pay me later. Later is <laughs> a lot more expensive than now. Incredibly expensive, but the price isn't paid in cash. It's paid in mental, emotional, and spiritual pain. How many of you have gone through some of that pain? You're witnesses to it. You're a testimony to it. God didn't create an arbitrary list of do's and don'ts to see if we could follow them. No, he laid out a set of essential guidelines for living. I've got to live this out with my brothers and sisters. I mean, I can, I can just say, oh, I'm done with you people and walk out, but where's the living? By myself? Yeah, that works out really good, doesn't it? 
His anger towards lying, stealing, cheating, coveting, murder, jealousy, and pride is because all of these behaviors destroy relationships. They destroy it. How many of you have been able to live in any of that kind of stuff? Can you live in that environment? No. Nobody can. You can't live in an environment like that. Everything that the Bible labels a sin is something that God is trying to protect us from. His desire is love, peace, grace, and harmony with him and with all of creation, with all of our brothers. Sin is our defiant rejection of this in an effort to satisfy our own desire and our own agenda. I got to tell you, I've got family that are pastors in the church, and these things happen in the, in the, in the church. These same things that, that deal happen in the, you know, Hebrews, Messianic, are happening in the church. They're happening over with our brother Judah. Probably happening over with other walks of faith. Why? It's nature. It's the man's sinful, fleshly desires. We're continuing on with Galatians. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You know why it says walk by the Spirit? Because it's going to be evident by your fruit. If you're walking by the Spirit, your fruit are going to be evident. Yep, there it is. I can tell it's an orange tree because I can see the oranges on it. It's evident. What's coming from you? It's what's coming out of your mouth, your deeds, your, your everything. The, everything's happening and it's easy to see. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Boy, this keeps coming up, challenging one another. Why does this keep coming up? It's because they were dealing with it. It was big issues. This is, this is what people do. Our sin, our fleshly nature gets in the way. But brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You see, because whenever we see a fault, oftentimes we're not going to come gentle. <sighs> well, I'm going to get an opportunity here. That sword's laid on the counter here, unpulled and unsheathed for, for years. I'm going to finally get to pull it out. Gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Oh, just don't ask the fellowship to do that. Bear each other's burdens. <laughs> that would be Christ-like, wouldn't it? Bear each other's burdens. Instead, our flesh wants to, you know, step on those burdens or, or make it more burdensome upon the person. And thereby fulfill the law of Christ, for if anyone thinks he is something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will be, have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. This is Scripture, folks. James explains that fighting is the result of uncontrolled passions and desires. War is the fruit of illicit wants. Lust brings about murder. Covetous results in the frustration of not obtaining the hotly pursuit uh, a desire. It all leads to the quarrels and fights that battle against people. It is one thing for a believer to understand that his identification with Messiah means that he has, he has died to sin and to count or reckon that to be true, but it's something else for him to deal with the sin nature that remains within himself 
and, it is, and its effort to express itself in his thoughts and actions. That is the internal conflict in the area of sanctification that every one of us must face. You see, God's bringing us through a yearly cycle of sanctification to squash these things that want to rise up within us. And we must submit to it. We must yield to God, submit to God. Let's look at what Proverbs says. The book of Proverbs characterizes those who stir up conflicts as persons given to anger, greed, hate, gossip, worthless perversions. Such conflicts inevitably result in personal destruction, discord, and the strife. It is no wonder that the Lord hates one who stirs up trouble among brothers. The Bible places great value on the ability to live at peace with one another. In unity and harmony. At the same time, the Bible declares unequivocally that such peace is given only by God and lived out only as believers pattern their lifestyles after that of Messiah Yeshua and what the Scripture teaches us. The cure for conflict, brothers and sisters, is a humble spirit, which is rewarded by God's unmerited favor. That's the cure. A humble, humble, humble spirit. The key is humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The way is up, the way up is down. The lowly one becomes the lifted one. There is a marked advantage to humility. Eventually it brings honor. Now think of this. It's saying that the, the one who is lowly is the one that's exalted. So the one charging the lead to, to bring a brother to destruction, he's elevated himself at the top, and guess what happens? He's going to be going down. When we self-appoint ourselves or self-exalt ourselves, we're going to immediately, it's going to happen. The destruction and bringing to a lowly spot is on its way. To slander and judge one another is totally incongruous to the humble spirit God desires. Furthermore, to judge another is actually a judgment of God's law itself. His law is a mandate over all people. No one dares assume a haughty position over the Torah. The slander is sentenced by the Torah. The self-styled judge is jeopardized by the Torah. Only the humble person is honored. True justice is rendered when a believer subjects himself to God in humility and obedience. Would you stand with me? I don't talk about this stuff, you all know. I don't talk about this stuff on a weekly or monthly. When the Lord brings the opportunity to talk about it, it's by His design. Isn't it interesting that what Ralphie talked about today was right on spot with what we're talking about? God does these things. He put the Torah portion the way it is. I didn't. He leads me to talk about things for purpose. And the purpose is He always wants us to be guarded. He wants us to be mindful of protecting ourselves, protecting the body, protecting the, the fellowship against these things. He wants us to be mindful of it. Keep it in our mind so that we're always in guard against it. Ralphie said, I had to write it down. <laughs> well, let me just say, I, I put this together with what you said. 
When we attack our brother unjustly, we are out of order. He talked about this word, davar. Coming from this root word means order. God is a God of order. When we come out of order, we're automatically not in his system because he's a God of order. He's got a step plan of how we're to bring justice. When we step out of that, we're no longer in order. And guess what? When we step out of order, we're now in chaos, and chaos will completely consume us. What did we talk about today? We talked about tents, torn peace, walking humbly, neighbors afflicting neighbors, quarrels and conflicts, lust and murder, pride, personal desire, and costly sin. If you're watching today online and you do not know this amazing God that is gracious, a God who is humble, a God who came in the flesh humble and lowly, who has brought us life everlasting through grace and compassion, not because we deserved it, but because he promised, because he's going to fulfill his word, because he's a gracious and loving father. I would like to pray with you if you'd allow me. Father, those that are watching do not know you. I would ask that they would repent of their sins, iniquities, and transgressions, that they would ad admit and confess to you that they've done things that they shouldn't do, that they walked their own way and not your way, that they walked contrary to you, and that you were just in everything that you've brought to them, and that they would accept your offering of Messiah Yeshua on their behalf and that they would be forgiven of all the sins and all the iniquities, all the transgressions in their past, and that they would start reading your word and applying the precepts that we've talked about today and all the others that are in there to their lives to bring about change, to bring about righteousness, to bring about humbleness, to bring about meekness, gentleness, the fruits of the Spirit that they might be evident in them. We pray and ask this, Father, in Master Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you, everybody online, for joining us. Thank you, everybody here, for being with us. We get to now say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat 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 Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat 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 Shalom. Shabbat Shabbat. Shabbat Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shabbat, Shabbat Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat 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 Shalom.